The Sons of Liberty is a politically neutral organization. We believe that the Judeo-Christian ethic has provided the principles upon which this nation was founded. It is our belief that these principles provide not only the foundation and framework for American government and society, but are also essential to the maintenance of a fair and just society. All program content is based on a Christian biblical worldview. One of you said to me recently that we shouldn't rock the boat. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you that I am a boat Good day, America. Welcome, Christian conservatives, constitutionalists, liberals, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTV, WXYZ people, all the boat rockers in the house, and anybody else I may have missed to the Sons of Liberty Radio Show here on Red State Talk Radio, where we use the Bible and the Constitution, not to see who's on the right or the left, but who is on the straight and narrow. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you live from the U.S. occupied state of South Carolina, the editor at SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, and for our Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warns about. I hold to the book, the Bible. As the authoritative word of God, glad that you guys have joined us this morning. If you'd like to check us out online, please do so. SonsofLibertyRadio.com and also SonsofLibertyMedia.com. In fact, if you're listening by way of the radio and you want to watch the video portion of the radio show, that's right, you can see the faces made for radio, head over to SonsofLibertyMedia.com. There you're going to see two videos at the top of the page. The one on the left side is one of Bradley's education videos, so you can catch that up until <clears throat> excuse me, 3 o'clock this afternoon Eastern. Which time he should be live in that area right there. On the right side of the page is where we're at. Click on that and blow it up on whatever device you got. Look for the Rumble icon, bottom right-hand corner. Click on that. Join us in the chat on Rumble. A lot of friends over there this morning. Good morning. Good to see you guys. Um, and while you're there, please subscribe to the channel. If you go there directly on Rumble, it's Sons of Liberty Radio Live. Sons of Liberty Radio Live is where you'll find us on Rumble. And then we're also on BeforeIt'sNews.com, top of the page over there. I want to thank Michael Roach and his team for giving both the morning show and the afternoon show a spot on their platform. Uh, back to SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, right up under where we're streaming live on the right side of the page, <clears throat> excuse me, is where you can sign up for our email newsletter. Uh, do that. You'll get all the articles we have for SonsOfLibertyMedia.com that day in your inbox, late afternoon, early evening each day. And uh, so be sure to sign up for that. We'd appreciate that very much. And then our store is available. Um, you know, I had, for a long time, I had not made mention of this, but uh, Bradley came out with the books and the shirt and all that other. So um, we've been promoting the Soldier of the Cross book, which is, uh, I don't know, about a month old or so now being put out. Uh, so now we've got a bundle, the Soldier of the Cross bundle. You get a T-shirt of your size, the Soldier of the Cross book, and then also uh, either black or silver dog tag in there. Okay. $34 if you're double X or larger, then it'll be $39. It'll be $5 more. You can also get the shirt by itself for $20 in the store, and you can also grab the book for $10, as well as the newer book, All the Profits Were Pointing to the Front, $10. That's also in the store, as well as a lot of other items, uh, hats, caps. Everybody, you know, when we, when we get to winter, and we're getting close to winter, so everybody gets to hear me talk about toboggans and what they really are. No, I'm just teasing. Uh, I call them toboggans. And you guys up top call them winter stockings. 
I thought stockings were something that a woman wore on her legs, you know, not a guy on his head. Sorry, I just I don't get it anyway. Uh, but no, I know about the toboggan uh, up north. I understand you guys think it's a sled. I get it. Get it. We'll have fun with that, though. Uh, in any case, I, I tell you, over the weekend. I did get to rest just a little bit, which was nice. Um, the Lord answered a couple of prayers as far as what's going on with little business ventures that we have going on to try to help sustain our family here. And so we're gl glad for that. And also, I, I tell you, my elder, my the, our pastor at our church, I tell you, he came over, he and his daughter, and they help us call a few chickens and a couple of roosters who are behaving badly. Uh, and, uh, I tell you, if you've got an elder to come do that with you, you, you got a good guy, I guess. Uh, he, he teaches the word of God and he comes over and he helps you call your chickens. So, uh, want to thank, uh, Pastor Glasser for that. So thank you very much. And his daughter Mackenzie, we appreciate you guys very, very much. Learn some things too, by the way. So that was really good. I also was able to come across a particular video. I'm going to play for you in a minute. And I'm going to play a lot of older videos because this applies. And I think going back and letting this particular gentleman, which I wish some people would have had uh, some good sense to actually put into office, um, besides just being a congressman, uh, Ron Paul. And... Um, you know, you can think what you want to about Ron Paul. Ron Paul will never change the uh, volume of his voice. He'll never change what he believes. He'll never change, you know, get into a certain dialect around a certain people. You know what I'm talking about? Like other politicians will. He doesn't bend with the wind. He never has. His message is what it is. And uh, I, that's why in many cases I like going back to some of this old footage of Ron Paul speaking because he's warning of certain things. So here's what I want to do. This go, this first one that I'm going to play for you is only about two minutes. Um, it's about four months ago. And this is the White House press propagandist. And one guy has said this has to be the dumbest uh, press secretary in the history of the United States. And I, I'm not going to argue with him. Um, she's easily controlled because she's backwards. She's, she's a lesbian. All right. And so she's backwards. So she, I, I expect that out of her, but this is where she's talking about the illegitimate Biden administration, their gun control policies on gun violence, aware day, awareness day. Uh, again, this is a, a few months back. But I want you to hear what the woman has to say about their quote-unquote policies. They're not pointing to the law. They're pointing to their desires, their own lustful desires. That's what they're talking about. Check this out. Now today, as you all know as well, we're also marking National Gun Violence Awareness Day. And in, in recognition, the White House will be lit in orange lights this evening. And many of us are wearing orange, as you can see from what I'm wearing today, all orange as we remember the thousands of Americans killed and injured in acts of gun violence across our nation. As some of you may know, this observance started a decade ago after a 15-year-old girl named Hadia Pendleton was shot and killed on a playground in Chicago, just one week after marching in President Obama's second inaugural parade. 
Soon after this tragedy, Hadia's friends commemorated her life by wearing orange. They chose this color because it's what hunters wear in the woods to protect themselves from others. Wear orange is now observed every June. As the president <laughs> said this morning in his statement, he's proud to have signed the most significant gun safety legislation in decades and dozens of executive actions. But as we all know, it is nearly not enough. It will take congressional action to make the kinds of meaningful reforms we need to keep our communities safe, like kids, uh, like Hadia. Today, Vice President Harris will also deliver remarks at John Lewis High School, where she will talk about the administration, administration's actions to reduce gun violence and call on young people to continue leading efforts to end gun violence and save lives. Today and every day, the President and the First Lady are praying for the victims of gun violence across America. And for the survivors These people are not praying for anybody for the rest of their lives. And the president continues to call on Congress to act on common sense reforms that will curb our gun violence epidemic, like establishing universal background checks, requiring safe storage of firearms, and finally banning assault weapons and high capacity magazines. Oh, yes, yes. There's a, we have to get the quote unquote assault weapons, even though there is no such thing. And I think this is fixing to trip out on something else because YouTube just wants to switch. This There's one I, simple hearing. My goodness gracious. Even though you pause it, it just wants to go and do its own thing. So you, you hear what she's saying here about the policies that they're. OK, so then I got this one. Yesterday, and she's asked, she's being asked directly. About whether or not. Joe Biden wants to confiscate guns. Now, remember, I've told you, we have to take the narrative here. This whole idea of gun control is a bunch of nonsense. Okay, good gun control, if there is such a thing, is you making sure that you got control of the weapon when you fire it and you hit your target. That's good gun control. Otherwise, we need to refer to it as gun confiscation. Every one of these laws that is aimed at the rights of the people to keep and bear arms are, are, are illegal. They're unconstitutional. That's the first thing. And the second one, they're all aimed at confiscating the gun of the offender of whatever arbitrary law that they want to come up with. That's what they're aimed at. Confiscation. Okay, so when she's asked about it, I want you to listen to what she says. She doesn't assure the people. No, no, no. He he has no intention of it. She hem hauls around. She does a little jig, and then it's all over. But check this out. Presidential campaign. One of the Democratic contenders said that what he would do is come for AR-15s. Does the president support not just banning the sale yeah, orange on again, sure. of semi-automatic weapons, but further than that, confiscation? Listen. Let me just be very clear. What we're talking about, AR-15s, these assault weapons ban, they are weapons of war, and they should not be on the streets oh. across the country, in our communities. They should not be in schools. They should not be in grocery stores. They should not be in, in churches. That's what the president believes. Okay. Um, when's the last time you saw an AR-15 in a grocery store? I mean, maybe that's a thing. I don't, I don't know. I don't know that I've seen them in churches. Uh, except maybe, you know, when me and the guys got together to shoot some. Um, but let's be very clear. She is correct. They are weapons of war. L let me see if everybody gets this. I'm just going to bring this up. This is the Second Amendment. The Second Amendment is about war. 
Okay. A well-regulated militia. What are militias? They are voluntary men, able-bodied men, who are armed. They are necessary. That's what the Second Amendment says. Necessary to the security of a free state. Why? Because of people like KJP, Joe Biden, Barack Obama, Barack Hussein Obama, Satoru Sabarka, Kamala Harris, and the rest of these communists who want to confiscate guns. Why do they want to confiscate guns? So they can have total control over the people. So they can strike fear in the hearts of the people. Okay? Has everybody got that? And, and by the way, let me, let me just say this. If you'll notice there, it says being necessary to the security of a free state. I'm going to tell you, these truths right here don't just apply to America. They apply all across the world. If you're listening to me in another country, in England, in Africa, or whatever, you have the God-given right, no matter what the state says, to keep and bear arms. Why? It is necessary for you to beat back the beast of your government when it starts to come after you. We heard that, look, we heard this with Tommy Robinson uh, on Friday. What his own government has done against him. You guys have heard Kate's testimony of what her government has done against her. You've heard it from other people here in the States of what our government has done to them and why. Because the militia is effectively dead, but we intend on resurrecting that guy. And I hope that you're doing it in your community too. I got a message from a friend last night uh, who said that uh, he, they were starting. He had found some a, a guy or two that he was going to start building up that militia with in his local area. Praise God for that. That's what you need. You need it. But let's get this one thing right. They are weapons of war. And they are protected under the Second Amendment. And I don't care whose policy wants to be implemented. It does not negate the law. And so here's a message for Joe Biden and any of his little minions at the local level, whether you're the sheriff's office or whether you're the police office or wherever you're at, some of us ain't going to give you the guns. We're not giving you the guns. And this is why they'll come and they'll bring their SWAT teams in. Because they'll say, oh, we have to protect ourselves. Never mind the innocent people that they're supposed to serve, but we're not interested in protecting them. No. Nope. Let me show you a couple of things here. What, the, did, did you hear what she just said? These weapons of war, AR-15. Now, when I say they're weapons of war, they're used for defending. I mean, yeah, you can use them for hunting and stuff, but the Second Amendment isn't about hunting. It's about securing a free state. It's about being a part of militia to beat back the evildoers. Go and do your homework on what Minutemen did. Go and read how they pushed off the Dragoons by the hundreds because they were armed. Because, and the Dragoons were coming in to infringe on the rights of the people to meet. So... This is the modern-day musket, and our, our, the, the, the forefathers before us wrote specifically arms. They did not write muskets. They did not write cannons. They did not write pistols. They wrote arms, anything that is an extension of the person. The people have a right to have, okay? So 
why do we not have KJP and Joe Biden and Barack Hussein Obama, Stora Sabarka and Kamala Harris and Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton and all these people who promote gun confiscation? Why do we not have them saying, setting the same standard for agents of the state? Well, let me show you what I mean. You can do a simple search for police with AR-15s and you'll find something like this. Just your regular thin blue line. There's a couple of brown lines in there. But you, you've got them all over, right? How come they get to have weapons of war on the street? Does anybody ask that question? How about the D.C. Capitol Police? Oh, if you search for them, what are you going to find there? Oh, yep. You're going to find those weapons of war in the hands of the Capitol Police. Yep, 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 yep. That's what you're going to find. How come we don't hear any regulations on that? Huh? Those are on the street. Why do they need that? And you'll hear you'll you'll hear the two-step dance going on in that too. What about the Secret Service? Uh, look all the way back at the Kennedy deal. You can see the guy. He's got an AR-style weapon with him. Hmm. It's okay for agents of the state to have weapons of war on the street, just not you. Just not you. Why is this important? Well, with all this talk about uh, Israel and this attack that came, and you know, we, we've gotten pictures from Israel all the time. This is why I think something else is going on here. And, and I, again, I'm not one. I'm not for Hamas. Uh, I'm not for people killing each other, whether they're uh, Palestinian or whether they're Israeli. I'm not for any of that. I'm not for some of the stories, and I, whether we can believe them or not, who knows nowadays. But I'm not for what allegedly took place there in Israel. Nor am I for what has taken place there in among the Palestinian people either. But you can see the need for people to be armed. It's pretty simple. So what I want to do is I want to take and tie all of what we're hearing in the news and why those things happen, because we've been told for years, oh, you know, Israeli teachers, they're the ones carrying the weapons and they're, 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 IDF is, you know, they always carry their weapons and all the people carry the weapons. It's one of the most secure uh, nations in, in the world. Well, it, then how did this happen where hundreds of people are killed the way they were? You see what I'm saying? The whole thing for as long as I've been alive has been that Israel has the, the most secure state in the world. That's what, I, that's what we've been told. I, that's what you've probably been told too. Then how did this happen? How did what all this happen? And again, I'm just gonna I'm gonna play you I'm gonna play you a couple of things to lead in, in bring all of this together, and I'm gonna use Ron Paul to do it. Now this happened many years ago. Um, Ron Paul speaking on the floor of the House, and here's what he's gonna tell you about Israel and Hamas. Take a listen. What's happening in the Middle East, and in particular with Gaza right now, we have some moral responsibility for both sides uh, in a way because we provide help and funding uh, for both Arab nations and Israel. 
And uh, so we definitely have a moral responsibility, and especially now today, the weapons being used to uh, kill so many Palestinians are American weapons, and uh, American funds essentially are being used uh, for this. But there's a political liability, which I think is something that we fail to look at because too often there's so much blowback from our intervention in areas that we shouldn't be involved in. You know, Hamas, if you look at the history, you'll find out that Hamas was encouraged and really started by Israel because they wanted Hamas to counteract Yasser Arafat. He said, well, yeah, that was better then and served his purpose, but we didn't want Hamas to do this. So then we as Americans say, well, we have such a good system. We're going to impose this on the world. We're going to invade Iraq and teach people how to be Democrats. We want free elections. So we encourage the Palestinians to have a free election. They do, and they elect Hamas. So we first indirectly and directly through Israel help establish Hamas. Then we have election. Then Hamas becomes dominant, so we have to kill them. You know, it, it just doesn't make sense. During, during the 80s, uh, you know, we were allied with Osama bin Laden. And uh, we were contending with the Soviets. It was at that time our CAA thought it was good if we radicalized the Muslim world. So we financed the madrasa schools to radicalize the Muslims in order to compete with the, with the Soviets. There's too much blowback. There's a lot of reasons why we should oppose this resolution. It is well, amen, Ron Paul. Now, he's talking about things that are going on that our policies affect. Now, if you've been paying attention, not only have the funds been going to Hamas, and we, we've been funding Israel all this time too, but so are the weapons. So are the weapons. And this is what, this is what Ron Paul is, and, and the, the irony here is we're being told we don't need weapons of war on our streets, but we're gonna go take but these guys are going to say, we're going to take your money and we're going to fund a war in the Middle East. We're going to fund the, the weapons of war there. We're going to do that. And we're going to send our boys over there too, by the way. You, you've seen they've already sent our guys over there in that area. There's, Congress hasn't done anything. That's what Article 1 is about. They're the ones who have power to declare war. But the people are so ignorant of their of their founding document that they don't call them out on it. They just, I mean, I'm I'm reading Christian men who should know better. They're all in support of what Israel does and this that and, it, and it's it, just without question, without question. And it's it's incredible to me. It really is incredible to me. Now, I want, to, I want to take you back just a little bit further. And again, this is dealing with another organization that we fund, which arms the people of this organization called NATO. And then there's the expansion. So whatever's happening here, there is an ideology that's attacking the people here that also has no problem attacking people in foreign countries either, okay? And this is why I say the Second Amendment, as far as I'm concerned, yes, it's in the U.S. Constitution, but the rights that are laid out there 
are the authorities. They're the duties that other men have all over the earth. Some people say, oh, this just applies to citizens. No, it does not. Either they're either God-given rights are given to every man or they're not. And we need to be clear about that. So I want you to listen to what he has to say about NATO, and then I want you to hear the warning that he gives regarding the arming of certain agencies within the federal government. This is his, this is his talk on NATO. And the gentleman from California and the gentleman from Nebraska both wish to yield time. Yes, I'm pleased to yield two minutes to our distinguished colleague from Texas, Mr. Hall. And Mr. Speaker, I also yield two minutes, distinguished gentleman. Gentlemen, be recognized for four minutes. Uh, thank you very much, and I sincerely appreciate the fact that uh, I brought together bipartisanship here and got times from both sides, so I deeply appreciate that, especially since I am taking the opposition to this bill. I do rise in opposition uh, to expanding NATO. Uh, I do not think it's in the best interest of the United States. The one thing that I would concede, though, is, is that everyone in this chamber, and I believe every member, agrees that our country should be strong, that we should have a strong national defense, and that we should do everything conceivable to make our country uh, safe and secure. And I certainly endorse those views. It just happens that I believe that membership in organizations like NATO tends to do the opposite, tends to weaken us and also uh, makes us more vulnerable. But that's a matter of opinion, and we have to debate the uh, merits of the issue uh, and find out what is best for our country. But uh, I think the bill does two, is motivated for two reasons. One is to increase the sphere of influence. Uh, into Eastern Europe. Who will, who will be the greatest influence on the commercial aspects of Eastern Europe? And so there's a commercial interest there. As, as well as in this bill, there's $55 million of foreign aid, uh, which I think a lot of Americans would challenge on whether or not under these circumstances, whether or not we should be sending another $55 million uh, overseas. We have this debate now mainly because we've uh, had the demise of the Soviet system and there's a question on uh, what the role of NATO should be and what the role of NATO really is. It seems that NATO is out in search of a dragon to slay. It appeared that way uh, during the Kosovo and Serbian crisis where it was decided that uh, NATO uh, would go in and uh, start the bombing in order to help the uh, Kosovars and to undermine the government of Serbia. But the, own, the, the, the laws or the, uh, the, the own rule, our own rules under NATO says that we should never attack a country that hasn't attacked a member nation. So this was sort of stretching it by a long shot in order to get us involved. And I think that does have unintended consequences because it turns out that we supported Muslims, the KLA uh, in, in Kosovo, who were actually allies of Osama bin Laden. So uh, these things sort of in some ways come back to haunt us, and I see this as uh, an unintended consequence that we should uh, be very much aware of. But overall, I oppose this because I support a position of, uh, of a foreign policy of non-interventionism, foreign non-interventionism out of interest of the United States. And I know the other side of the argument that the United States' interests are best protected by foreign intervention in many, many entangling alliances. And I, I just uh, disagree with that because I think what eventually happens is that uh, a country like ours 
gets spread too thin, and finally we get too poor. And I think we're starting to see signs of this. We have 250,000 troops around the world in 241 uh, different countries. And when the crisis hit uh, with the New York uh, disaster, it turned out that our planes were so spread out around the world that it was necessary for our allies to come in and help us. And this is used by those who disagree with me as a pause and say, see, it works. NATO is wonderful. They'll even come and help us out. I see it as sad and tragic that we spend last year, I think it was over $325 billion for, for national defense. And we didn't even have AWACS plane to protect us. You know, during, during that time, when we have our, our tragedy in New York, we probably had cities that we paid to protect better than our own cities. We, I mean, if planes went uh, awry or astray in, in Korea or uh, Haiti or wherever, I think that uh, they probably would have been shot down. So I see this as a, as a tragedy, and I hope we will all give some kind of consideration for non-intervention. Okay, all right, that's Ron Paul, and uh, this is, that was what he's saying was back in the early 2000s. And you're, you're right. Uh, who was it? Lori asking in here, never understood how we can fund eight others while we're in the debt we're in. Well, we can because those guys just think they can print money. And again, I could play the whole Daniel Boone, uh, Daniel Boone, Davy Crockett deal on it's not yours to give. I could play that again. And I think it becomes very clear that those people don't mind spending everybody else's money. But when it comes to their own, it's a whole different show. And uh, men are called to love one another. And so that means individuals are to show charity. Government can't show charity. Government steals. And if they're giving money to foreign countries that we didn't authorize in Article 1, they are stealing from us. They're not giving it to They are stealing from us. That's what they're engaged in. Now, I showed you the pictures, just so we go back over this again. You guys who are on the radio, you can, uh, if you want to jump over on Rumble, you can see some of these images, but you can do your own search. KJP says Joe Biden doesn't want to have weapons of war on the street. Well, then Joe Biden needs to get out of the People's White House. Matter of fact, the people need to get him out. I thought there was supposed to be impeachment. Yeah, I told you that was going to be a WWE match too, didn't I? Didn't I tell you that? Yep. And you're seeing the WWE match on the other side with Donald Trump, too, and this whole charade of, you know, indictments against him. That's a WWE match, too. It really is. But again, just to cover this before Ron Paul says what he says here, and, and what I'm going to play for you here comes back from, like, 1997. But again, do your own search. Police with AR-15s. They're on the street. I thought we didn't want weapons of war on the street. Huh. Well, what about this one? The D.C. Capitol Police with AR-15s. Just do an internet search. You can go on any internet search engine. I'm trying to train myself not to say the G word. Go on an internet search engine. Secret Service. And you can see them. They had them way back there when, uh, when Kennedy was assassinated. We talked about that the other day as well on Saturday. So... I want you to hear what they are doing while they are attacking your right to keep and bear arms 
your right to be part of the constitutional and I would say a biblical militia. We've been through, you know, when we cover this, it's like repeating the same thing. So I'm trying to find new ways of saying the old things, okay, the same old things. Normally, when we come through, we, we, we cover pretty much this, the same stuff. We give the same quotes. We do all of this stuff. I'm trying to make it fresh so people understand, one, this is not just an American thing. This is the thing for all men, and all men need to understand it. Just like all men need to bow their knee to King Jesus, all men need to understand they have a God-given right to perform a God-given duty by having, keeping, and bearing arms. They're to provide protection for their wives, for their children, to be an instrument in a militia to protect and, and defend liberty in their communities, along with other men. But here's what the beast is doing to you. And again, this is 1997. Again, this is Ron Paul. And I'm going to tell you, you, you know, there's not a lot of guys like this anymore. There really isn't. Um, when I look back, I look back at somebody like Ron Paul, and then I look at um, uh, Larry McDonald, who was a who was a Democrat, and I'm sitting here listening to these guys talk versus the guys who are up there now. I mean, the people up there now are definitely the products of the indoctrination system that we call public education. They're definitely, they're, they are light years different than either one of those guys. They really are. Here is Ron Paul. He's warning what they're actually doing uh, with weapons of war and agents of the state. And again, this is from 1997. The time of the gentleman from Pennsylvania has expired. The gentleman from Texas, Mr. Paul, is recognized for five minutes. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, earlier this year, another member severely criticized me on the House floor for declaring on C-SPAN that indeed many Americans justifiably feared their own government. This fear has come from the police state mentality that prompted Ruby Ridge, Waco, and many other episodes of an errant federal government. Under the Constitution, there was never meant to be a federal police force. Even an FBI limited only to investigations was not accepted until this century. Yet today, fueled by the federal government's misdirected war on drugs, radical environmentalism, and the aggressive behavior of the nanny state, we have witnessed the massive buildup of a virtual army of armed regulators prowling the states where they have no legal authority. The sacrifice of individual responsibility and the concept of local government by the majority of American citizens has permitted the army of bureaucrats to thrive. We have depended on government for so much for so long that we as a people have become less vigilant of our liberties. And as long as the government provides largesse for the majority, the special interest lobbyists will succeed in continuing the redistribution of welfare programs that occupies most of Congress's legislative time. Wealth is limited, yet demands are unlimited. A welfare system inevitably diminishes production and shrinks the economic pie. As this occurs, anger among the competing special interests grows. While Congress and the people concentrate on material welfare and its equal redistribution, the principles of liberty are ignored and freedom is undermined. And more immediate, 
The enforcement of the interventionist state requires a growing army of bureaucrats. Since groups demanding special favors from the federal government must abuse the rights and property of those who produce wealth and cherish liberty, real resentment is directed at the agents who come to eat out our substance. The natural consequence is for the intruders to arm themselves to protect against angry victims of government intrusion. Thanks to a recent article by Joseph Farah, director of the Western Journalism Center of Sacramento, California, appearing in the Houston Chronicle, the surge in the number of armed federal bureaucrats have been brought to our attention. Farah points out that in 1996 alone, at least 2,439 new federal cops were authorized to carry firearms. That takes the total up to nearly 60,000. Farah points out that these cops were not only in agencies like the FBI, but include the EPA, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife, the Army Corps of Engineers. Even Bruce Babbitt, according to Farah, wants to arm the Bureau of Land Management. Farah logically asks, when will the NEA have its armed art cops? This is a dangerous trend. It's ironic that the proliferation of guns in the hands of the bureaucrats is pushed by the anti-gun fanatics who hate the Second Amendment and would disarm every law-abiding American citizen. Yes, we need gun control. We need to disarm our bureaucrats, then abolish the agencies. If government bureaucrats like guns that much, let them seek work with the NRA. Force and intimidation are the tools of tyrants. Intimidation with government guns and the threat of imprisonment and the fear of harassment by government agents put fear into the hearts of millions of Americans. Four days after Paula Jones refused a settlement in her celebrated suit, she received notice that she and her husband would be audited for 1995 taxes. Since 1994 is the current audit year for the IRS, the administration's denial that the audit is related to the suit is suspect, to say the least. Even if it is coincidental, don't try to convince the American people. Most Americans, justifiably cynical and untrusting toward the federal government, know the existence, the evidence exists that since the 1970s, both Republican and Democratic administrations have not hesitated to intimidate their political enemies with IRS audits and regulatory harassment. Even though the average IRS agent doesn't carry a gun, the threat of incarceration and seizure of property is backed up by many guns. All government power is ultimately gun power and serves the interests of those who despise or do not comprehend the principles of liberty. The gun in the hands of law-abiding citizens served to hold in check arrogant and aggressive government. Guns in the hands of the bureaucrats do the opposite. The founders of this country fully understood this fact. And I yield back. The time of the right. And they, do, they did understand. And that's why they that's why they codified it. That's why they put it in there in the Bill of Rights. They understood that very well. I don't know what's hard to to understand about the right to keep our eyes. Let me let me tell you why <clears throat> this all happens. Years ago, there was a guy by the name of Daniel Greenfield. He's he's a brilliant mind. He's a he's a Jew. He's a Jewish guy. He's a Zionist. You know, we we carry some of his reports that he has, which deal with the facts of whatever is going on. Some you know, with something, he gives some good commentary. 
But he wrote this, this article called The State of Our Police. That was what it was called. And he played off of both sides. And what he said was one side, one political side, allows for the welfare system and really pushes the welfare system, which is completely unconstitutional and I would say completely unbiblical uh, because the church is to be the dispenser of charity and of welfare. If, there's, if that's to be there, that's what the church is to do. That's what the people of God are supposed to do. They're supposed to meet those needs. They're not supposed to be you know, building build buildings for their own glory and their own enjoyment. They're supposed to be doing it or they're supposed to be ministering to the people of their community that they're in. Okay. So he writes this thing and he says, one political side pushes the welfare state. Well, when you push the welfare state, you put people into a mindset of getting things for free. So then they start lying about certain things, how many kids they have or whether they have a husband or don't have a husband. And then they start getting the, you know, they're on the government teat. That's what they're, that's what they're doing. And so this is why you see so much welfare fraud. So then they get put, many of them get caught because they're in this poverty-stricken kind of lifestyle, and it's self-induced as well as government-induced. I mean, the government's feeding that. So then you get crime that comes from that, and, they, and government even makes up crimes sometimes um, but to keep these people in that system because the government gets paid when they go to jail, when they get out of jail, when they go to court, and when they get out of court. The government's getting paid off of that. If you guys were paying attention about birth certificates and such, you understand how at least got a, you got an overview of how that works. So when that happens, the other side has to come in and say, we need more law enforcement. And so this is why you'll always see these political parties pushing the opposite of one another, and they can never come to a solution. Which is, they shouldn't have started the welfare state in the first place. But they do that, and then because the men in this country don't know that they're the only law enforcers mentioned in the Constitution, Article 1, Section 8, Clause 15 and 16, the Constitution militia, they allow agents of the state to govern them. The thin blue line, the thin brown line, all of that other stuff, they allow them to be the ones governing them. Now, in South Carolina, I can testify that Sheriffs are a part of our South Carolina Constitution. They are part of there. So that line is that line is lawful, at least under our Constitution, our, under our state Constitution. But police aren't. It's just because every other town has that. It, it, it reminds you of what the people said in Samuel, doesn't it? Well, we want a king like everybody else. We want a police force like everybody else. Or we can't function as a society, and our society, our little community here, will devolve into crime and destruction and everything. Nonsense. We, we've seen entire police forces walk off the job or be fired, and those little towns didn't devolve into degeneracy. Probably because they knew if they started, somebody started to do that, there were men there that would come and deal with it. They'd come and deal with the criminals. And there was, a, there was a, a moral hedge there that had been given by the teaching of the law. In fact, that was some of the things I was going to point to in all of this is um, <clears throat> the issue of, in some cases, mandated gun ownership. 
there's a there's a in fact there's some interesting things about cities uh that I came across the if you if you really want to trim off gun violence if that's really your goal one is teach the bible I, there's almost a place where I'm thinking anybody worth their salt nowadays who goes into public office, they ought to be taking some of their time to read just the scriptures in their context about whatever they're dealing with. And, um, I, I mean, I, I think that they ought to be doing it. But let me give you a couple of examples, and I'm going to pitch on to this other one because I wrote an article on it. It was many years ago. I probably need to update it a little bit. Kennesaw, Georgia. It was listed as one of the best places to go in the United States to raise a family. Why? Well, in 1982, they passed a law that required the heads of households to own at least one firearm. And they gave an exception. If you had a, you know, if your conscience bothered you, they didn't want you to violate your conscience. So you could put an objection in for that over an issue of conscience. But the law was, if you're going to live in Kennesaw, you're going to be armed. If you're the head of household, you're going to be armed. And guess what? Guess what happened to their crime rate? I mean, it's almost non-existent. I'm talking about real crime. I'm not talking about the stuff that the state wants to call crime that isn't crime. Their crime was almost non-existent. Do you know that they didn't have, and I, I, I'm going to have to go over to the article I wrote, which was many, many years ago. Gosh, 2012. If that tells you, this was like 11, what is that, 11 years ago. Um, more than 11 years, because this was in June. But one of the interesting things, I was going to see if I could find this, um, the particular numbers that they had. I mean, it was, it was absolutely incredible. Uh, David Copel, a gun rights activist, claims that the law there in Kennesaw reduced the rate of burglaries in the first year. The number of burglaries prior to the ordinance were 65. The following years, 1983 and 1984, showed dramatic drops in burglaries down to 26 and then 11. That's just in a couple of years. Newsmax also confirms the drop uh, that uh, Copel had, had made, the, cl the claim that he had made. Um, Several things and uh, for murder from 1982 through 2009. What is that? 27 years. Okay. Kennesaw had been nearly murder free with one murder occurring in 2007. There were three murders in 2010 and, and uh, they were committed by the same guy. Guess where they happened? At a gun-free zone. Mm -hmm. Happened at a university. So for 27 years, they had one murder. One. More than a quarter of a decade. A century, I'm sorry. Quarter of a, uh, of a century. They had one. Why? Because they said, if you're going to be a man, yes, you have the right, but you need to arm yourself in your home. They were teaching the people to do this. Now, look, they had recommend they had um, uh, demands that men in the militia be armed. 
when the country was formed. It was your duty to do that. It was your duty to secure that free state that you lived in. See, rights don't exist so we can do whatever we want. Rights exist so we can do our duties. Some people think their right to free speech is so they can go out there and be a, a foul-mouthed, nasty, perverted comedian or something. That's not what First Amendment is about. Specifically, it's dealing with political speech and religious speech. And I, you know, I'm one, it, you guys have seen, look, I've had people who disagree with me in chat and I'll be vigorous with them or we'll debate it back and forth or we've had people on the show like that. And I think you just let people see, you let people see what is the truth by letting the people be there. That's what Proverbs talks about. It talks about one man thinks he's right till his neighbor comes along and examines him, right? And maybe there's times where we need to correct ourselves and times where we're not, where we need to stand our ground. But nevertheless, what we're being told is these weapons need to be off the street, these weapons of war. And I've already shown you the people that guard KJP. And yes, she gets guards too. Those guys have AR-15s as well as a number of other things. Uzis, H&Ks. I mean, I've seen some of the those Secret Service pictures. It looks like they've got some H&Ks there, 9 millimeters. So, I, you know, they're getting the benefit, but they don't want you to have it. Did you guys happen to see, by the way, and this would come up with it, uh, what we're looking at. I put this up the other day. Uh, yesterday, I was loading up a bunch of videos that I hadn't got to upload to my channel in a while. And I'm just going to see if I can find this real quickly. It's, it's to show you how this government works. And I'm going to tell you it's no different than any other government. Yes, I understand the establishment of it was, was completely different. But the fact of the matter is it works the same way all governments work because wicked men get in power. And when they're in power, they end up doing the very same things. So I had this video up, and you guys may have seen this. Um, there it is. So this was from uh, the 17th through the 18th overnight of this month. This is what was going on in your capital. Now, you guys who are on the radio, you... Uh, are not seeing this. This is in front of the House of Representatives. They are putting up barricades again. They're putting up more fencing in front of the House of Representatives. Now, a lot of people have said, all these guys have left D.C. They're somewhere else. Some people have said Texas. Some people are other places. I don't know. I don't know. It's pretty much a ghost town. But it kind of makes you think they know something's coming, and they think these little things are going to help them. I, I got to tell you, when the people break loose, when that dam bursts, nothing's going to help these people who've, who've done this. The, nothing's going to help them. And uh, you know what? I, I have been thinking here recently, and probably going to do an, a show on this. Imprecatory prayers. Brothers and sisters, I've been praying them. And I've been praying them out loud. God, deal with those wicked people. 
Deal with those wicked people who mean your people harm and turn your people from their own wickedness. Because the people can't seem to do it themselves. And we're told that in Scripture. That's what total depravity is. The people keep going on in their lawlessness. And their government becomes a reflection of that. Now people are starting to see it. And they're going, well, wait, wait a minute. And they see the wickedness of those in office. But I got a question for you, friends, who are listening. Is there something you need to repent of? See, because that's where it's going to start. It's going to start with us. We were listening yesterday uh, to the message at church, and that's what, that's what the talk was. What about you? It's easy to see it in everybody else, isn't it? It's easy to call out the corruption in our government. It's easy to call out the corruption in somebody else. It's much more difficult to be still and to examine your own heart. And so before I prayed those imprecatory prayers, I examined my own heart. And like David, I'm saying, Lord, whatever's wicked in me, help me to cleanse that out. Cleanse that out of me. Help me to where I can see clearly so I can get the, the beam out of my own eye so I can help my brother who's got that little small speck there. Oh, it's him. What, what the government's doing is, is, a, is a major moat. It's a major beam. Yeah, well, it might be. But we might have the same thing in our own eye. And we neglect to deal with our own sin while trying to deal with somebody else's. And so this is, this is a part of what we're at. But a lot of people will have a problem, obviously, with what, you know, having arms. Go over here to Luke chapter 22. I, I'm telling you, this is so clear to me that Jesus is saying, you go get a sword. It's not hard. He's not saying so you can be a revolutionary. It's not saying so you can overthrow Rome. His idea is, I sent you out one way, and you can read this in Luke chapter 22. I sent you out without a purse. I sent you out without food. I sent you out without all this stuff. And, and what happened? Were you taken care of? Yes. Okay, now I'm telling you to go get a sword. And I'm telling you to take some money with you too. You're going to need that along the way. Our rights are non-negotiable. I don't care what excuse they give. And I'm going to tell you, they have the excuses for background checks and, and all this other stuff because they did not follow the Lord's commands, His statutes, and His judgments, which we're taught to teach our children, Deuteronomy 6, that's in the law. They won't bring justice, and because they won't bring justice, they're infringing on the liberties of the people, and the people are eating it up. We've got to stop doing that and repent before God. Bradley, be with you at 3. See you in the morning, Lord willing, 6 a.m. Adios.